I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And November's cover story is Why Crucified Tommy by Clive Emsley, who's professor of history at the Open University. Um, Clive joins us to look at what was called Field Punishment Number One in the British Army. What exactly was Field Punishment Number One, Clive? Um, well, it replaced flogging, and uh, the idea was um, really to make fatigues um, that much tougher, and and somehow to get a kind of physical punishment which was not as um, unacceptable as flogging. Um, normally it meant someone being imprisoned for uh, a set period. But of course, when you're in the front line, it's very difficult for people to be imprisoned. So the idea was that, to give them tough fatigues and, um, and to tie them up for two hours a day for, um, I think it's up to four days a week for a period of not longer than, than so-and-so. The problem developed because it looks as if some battalion or regimental commanders or their sergeant majors decided that, that they ought to somehow enhance the field punishment. So rather than simply being tied up, people were, were uh, well, basically they were tied up, but they were tied to um, the wheels of guns or limbers in a, a kind of crucifixion. Uh, style, so their arms were outstretched, their legs were outstretched, and for two hours at a time, these could, these punishments could become particularly painful. And so, to get it into context, there, flogging presumably was the same kind of punishment that had been used when the British Army fought Napoleon, for example, during the during the Napoleonic Wars, and and was an ancient form of military discipline. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um... And so when did that end? Um, 1881. Mm-hmm. Um, they, start, they start reducing physical punishment, punishments um, early in the, the 19th century, extending the number of, of lashes you could receive if you were flogged. Um, and they also had um, variants such as branding, um, so that if you were a deserter or a thief, you could be... You could be marked with a, a D or a T on your cheek. It wasn't actually branding by the, the late 19th century or the mid-19th century. It was 
more a form of tattooing, puncturing the skin and, and putting black powder in it. And this was known within army circles, of course, but how did it come to wider public prominence during the First World War? Well, I rather suspect that, that the ordinary population didn't really know much about it, or if they did know much about it, probably didn't care because the assumption was that, um, okay, you'd got the, the Kipling sort of barrack room ballads and there was a, a degree of sentimentalism and um, affection developing for, for some soldiers, particularly soldiers who, when they retired, seemed to go straight from the armed forces to the workhouse. Um, but basically, I don't think the general population knew what field punishment number one was until um, the patriotic volunteers of 1914 and 1915 uh, suddenly found that they were being punished uh, with field punishment number one. Um, and writing letters home, having seen it or having experienced it. Uh, and this, of course, leads to the, the outcry um, towards the end of uh, 1916 when um, uh, Robert Blatchford, himself an old soldier, um, uh, and certainly not someone who could be branded as a kind of um, uh, a conchy um, he'd, he'd left the, uh, the, the Labour movement over Labour's hostility to the war in 1914. So um, when Blatchford wrote an article asking under the headline, Why Crucify Tommy? This became a kind of national scandal. People, um, more stories began to appear. People began to write to their MPs. Um, and the, the general staff actually didn't do itself a lot of good by attempting to, to defend it and say, well, if, you know, if, if, if we don't have field punishment number one, we'd have to shoot more people. Well, that's, as you can imagine, <laughs> going to go down very well. And there was a big difference at this time, I suppose, between civilian and military law as well. There'd be quite a disjunction between the two. Be between military law and, and civilian law? And normal civilian well, law, yeah. Um, I think that's possibly been somewhat overemphasized. Um, I think you do find a significant number of military officers um, below the rank of people like Haig and so on who are saying, well, we, we need this kind of punishment. There are quite a lot of officers who, who are becoming somewhat concerned about shooting people and I suspect also some who are rather concerned about field punishment number one. <coughs> and certainly the, um, uh, the authorities in London responsible for the uh, Ministry of War, um, uh, they get very concerned about uh, field punishment number one. And, and they decide that there have got to be strict regulations that you can't have people tied up in this kind of crucifixion style. Um, <clears throat> so they, they instruct an, uh, an artist to come up with, um, uh, with what field punishment might look like. And of course he, he does this painting with a, um, a fence behind hand, uh, behind the soldier. Um, and it looks very much like a, a, a crucifixion cross. Uh, and 
it's probably scribbled out in red ink and um, or red pencil and there are comments about it mustn't look anything like a crucifixion and, and so on Mm. And that's in fact the image that we reproduce on the cover and within that's your article one, yeah. this month. Yeah. And, and, and they do follow that up with a, um, a very similar image, except the man is tied to what looks like a, a, a genteel English garden fence, which of course you're bound to find in the front line of the Western Front. But, <laughs> you know. and, and there is criticism um, of punishments in general in the British Army, where are perceived as harsh punishments, as being Prussian. Or German in origin, uh, which, which adds to this controversy. Well, that's right, because people will say, what are we fighting against? We're fighting against Prussianism. Um, <coughs> and this kind of punishment looks like, um, looks like Prussianism. And indeed, people say, well, um, uh, that's where it came from. It's because the origins of the British Army are Prussian. Although quite where they get that from, I'm not entirely sure. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, the idea of any kind of, of brutal punishment, brutal behaviour is seen very much as, um, uh, as Prussian. What, what the British are fighting against, particularly looking back to the, um, the behaviour of the German army when it entered Belgium in 1914 and destroyed Louvain and fired on Reims Cathedral uh, and so on. And can we get some sense of the scale of this, how widespread such punishments were and how, sh how widespread shooting was within the British Army in the First World War? What sort of figures are there? Well, shooting, we do have figures. Um, roughly 3,000, just over 3,000 men <coughs> were sentenced to death by firing squad. The overwhelming majority, about... Um, 2,700 for desertion. But of those 3,000, only one in 10 were executed. So we're talking about 300 men actually being shot. Mm -hmm. There is a big problem. I can't find statistics anywhere for the number of men who were subjected to field punishment number one. Mm -hmm. um, it would appear that, that some uh, battalion commanders got completely carried away. Um, there's one letter I've, I've seen from a, a, a battalion commander of the, um, the King's Liverpool Regiment, which is a territorial regiment, um, in which he says, you know, I've, I've had a lot of trouble with the men, so I had 31 of them subjected to field punishment number one. I mean, that sounds like the end of Monty Python's Life of Brian, with 31 blokes tied tied to gun limbers at any one particular at, at, at one particular moment um, and terrible for morale one would imagine as well well yeah um, and it was it, it was unpopular before the war amongst ordinary um, squaddies and I've got cases of um, <coughs> men being prosecuted for mutiny for um, uh, uh, threatening trouble if, if men are um, uh, strung up um, uh, in this sort of crucifixion style. And the Australians were notorious for going round and, and cutting men down. And um, what position uh, was the British Army in at the end of the First World War here, so far as punishment went? Have there been any reforms made? Um, well, yes, I mean, they, they do insist 
that men must not be tied up in this crucifixion pose um, and that there mustn't be any embroidering. And then um, within two or three years of the end of the war, field punishment number one is abolished and there is to be no, um, no tying up of this kind uh, again. Um, as far as executions are concerned, the executions are, um, uh, there is a suspension of the execution of military uh, firing squads uh, with the armistice. One or two men are um, sentenced to be shot during the campaign in Russia uh, after the, uh, the First World War. But as far as I can see, not a single British soldier uh, is shot. Um, and so by the time... And the... then there is a significant campaign in Parliament which um, is really led by a lot of uh, MPs who've actually fought in the mm. trenches um, to have execution severely limited. I think if, if, by 1929 it's restricted simply to treason and murder. But in fact, the um, uh, punishment for murder, uh, well, and for, particularly for murder, is, is usually um, carried out by hanging mm. rather than shooting. And that Although, for civilians as well. um, 1945, one of his last acts as a, um, uh, a soldier in the Second World War, Edward Heath, a major in the Royal Artillery, um, commanded a firing squad and um, always said that that was what led to him being opposed to capital punishment for the rest of his career. And, and how much had it changed into, uh, between the First and Second World Wars? What were the regimes like, the discipline regimes in the Second World War, say in contrast to the First World War? Um, well, there's no... There is no field punishment, number one. There is field punishment. And uh, as I mentioned in the article, uh, Ald Wingate, who is a, a real um, uh, strange character, organising the, the Chindits raiding behind Japanese lines, um, uh, tells his, um, uh, his column leaders that he's got an agreement um, uh, with the commander-in-chief in India um, that uh, basically they can shoot and flock people. Um, and there is a, an interesting court case in, I think, 1946 or 1947, where one of, um, uh, one of the Chindit column commanders is actually prosecuted um, by a court-martial for having two men, uh, well, not flogged in the old-fashioned sense, but beaten across the shoulders uh, with a cane for, um, I think, they fall as fell asleep on sentry duty. Um, but by and large, the, uh, the Second World War, there are one or two demands for um, bringing back uh, capital punishment for desertion, being able to shoot people to keep them in the, in the, in the line. Um, but I'm pretty sure that the government thinks there's no way we would ever get this through, even if there was sufficient, um, uh, 
even if there were sufficient MPs prepared to uh, to undertake it. Yeah, which there weren't, presumably. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, thank you, Clive. Thank you so much for that. So it's a fascinating article, and obviously it's particularly resonant um, this weekend being Remembrance Sunday. So thank you very much. It's our cover story for November. Thank you. Okay. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.